Shameless Media. On the 18th of June 2018, Trent Dalton's debut novel, Boy Swallows Universe, was released into the world. The book came with some serious hype. According to reports, a bidding war between publishers had seen Trent pocket a global deal in the high six figures. Expectations were high, astronomically so, and yet Trent and his book sailed over them all. At the time of recording, Boy Swallows Universe has sold over 850,000 copies worldwide. Almost six years on, there's a seven-episode Netflix series that brings Dara, a southwestern suburb in Brisbane, Queensland, to life. We're here to determine if the adaptation does the book justice. Welcome to the first ever episode of The Adaptation, a monthly review series from the Shameless Book Club. My name is Sahani Gunatelika. I'm joined by Everybody Has a Secret host, Annabelle Lee. Oh my God, hi! I'm so excited! <laughs> and Shameless Media co-founder, Michelle Andrews. Hi. hi! Couldn't be happier to be here. I I'm had so chills, excited. Sahani, as you were bringing that out. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Finally! I feel like this has been like long overdue. Yes. As Taylor Swift would say, it's been a long time. <laughs> Guys, I have been waiting for this. I've been excited for this. When Shameless Media decided that we wanted to put out something called The Adaptation, we were having a think about what would be a fitting launch product to do The Adaptation with. What were the the biggest and the best adaptations on the horizon? And we knew that Boy Swallows Universe was going to be it. This is such a special book to so many people, myself included. So... I'm stoked that the adaptation is finally here and what an adaptation to do it with. I know. And Trent, friend of the show. (laughs) We love Trent. I did when we were prepping for this episode. Just say in the middle of the office, God, I love Trent Dalton. It was so funny. You randomly dropped it in the middle of us, like tapping away in silence. But I totally get it. Like, he's so brilliant. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. I admittedly was a little bit nervous recording this episode because I famously struggled a little bit to get through the book. I'm so sorry, Trent. (laughs) Again, we love you. I love you. But I, spoiler, loved this TV series. Yeah. What did you think of the book, Sahani? We've all read it. Yeah. Again, I know Trent is going to be listening. Love you. (laughs) But I did read this book while I was at uni and I don't think I was ready. Like, I don't think I was like mature enough to understand the gravity of this book. So I actually didn't finish it. Really? This is one of my favorite books of all time. This is such a special, important book to me. I read it I think I may have read it in 2018, the year it came out, if not very early 2019. I remember exactly where I was. I was on a holiday in Byron Bay with Zara and I just, I still remember reading certain lines like, do your time before your time does you. I Mm. I think I just butchered that slightly, but you know, I remember the sentiment so clearly. I remember the red telephone. I remember closing this after finding it hard to penetrate in the first 50 pages. I found Mm. the writing style a little tricky. But then once I finished, I was like, what a piece of art. Like yeah. this book is so incredible. And I think I think it's a divisive book. I know some people love it. Some people couldn't quite get into it. But it is so unique. I think that's something we can all agree on. Well, when you just said it is a piece of art, I said, yeah. <laughs> Even though I just said before that I struggled to read it. Yeah. I remember reading it and thinking, this is beyond my capacity right now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe when I read it, yeah, it was 2018. I was in my first couple of years of uni. I remember being in my flop era. 
<laughs> I remember it happens. God, being in university and also in your flop era is just a rite it's of passage. Not, it's not good. I do remember, though, I bought this book in 2018 at the end of the year for Bad Santa for my friend's mm. miss. And I, I don't think you're allowed to do this, but I like read it before I gifted it. <laughs> <laughs> Saving money, you're in uni. And I remember thinking... Oh, thank God I'm giving this away. Like, <laughs> so sorry. That's so mean. That's not mean. So it's the truth. I remember thinking this is just a little too smart for my brain okay. and where it's at right now. Maybe it was Maybe it was just too highbrow for what you were looking to get out of books. Maybe yes. if you're looking for books at that point in your, t- in your life, which like, that's me half the year. I'm like, don't educate me, entertain me. Like, I don't want to read something super smart right now. I want to read something that's just easily accessible. Yeah. And I've been saying for a while now that I want to go back and reread Boy Swallows Universe because mm. I've consumed a couple of Trent Dalton's books since then and I've absolutely adored them. Love stories. Yes. Is excellent in particular. So I think I'm ready now for Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, I agree. And Trent was actually involved in the adaptation. The TV show was actually written by John Colley, but Trent was an executive producer and I'm sure a lot of people at home have been seeing him on set. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alongside some huge names, including the actor slash director, Joel Edgerton. Yeah, every episode, as you said, Sahani, was written by John Colley. Episodes one and two were directed by Bharat Naluri, who directed the feature film Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. That starred Amy Adams like over a decade ago, I think. Episodes three, four and five were directed by Jocelyn Morehouse. She was behind The Dressmaker, starring Kate Winslet. And the final two episodes, six and seven, were directed by Kim Mordaunt. He is primarily a documentarian, which I found interesting. He's best known for a 2007 doco called Bomb Harvest. So same writer across everything, Mm. different directors, kind of in chunks, which Mm. I I found really fascinating because... When I was watching this, I had like my chunks of episodes that were my favourite, which is really interesting. But yeah, Trent was on set. He was around. He just didn't write this particular adaptation. Yeah. And for the record, the TV series seems to stay pretty loyal to the book. We tried to find actually like different storylines, but there weren't many changes no. that we could see anyway. No. It was a pretty loyal adaptation. Yeah. And I kind of love that. Because I hate it when like movies change the endings or like really pivotal plot points. Yeah. And boy, is that something we'll talk about in this series. Yeah, and I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Boy Swallows Universe is loosely based on elements of Trent Dalton's real life. They mm. wanted to be kind of respectful of that. Yeah, and it's a bit unethical, I mm. would say. I don't even know if loosely is the word I would use for it. When I read profiles from him, this is very neatly tied to his own childhood. Yeah. He says, I, I, I mean, it is fiction, of course. It's a work of fiction. But can I go to this point? I want to talk about this later in the episode, but maybe I should talk about it right now, given you brought it up, Zara. <laughs> <laughs> just redo that and say Annabelle and I'm like wait no they're gonna make me keep this in <laughs> Sorry, Annabelle so, so glad you brought that up Sarah so glad you brought that up Annabelle uh-huh. because when I did my research I was just reminded of how many details are factual from mm. Trent's life for example fans of this show slash book might not know Slim Halliday is not only a real person who was an escape artist from Bogo Road Jail he was also a family friend of Trent Dalton's oh, when he was a child mm. and had an incredible impact on Trent Dalton. He also, yes, served time for killing a taxi driver. 
He, it just sounds like it was a really fascinating man. I found this reporting from the Townsville Bulletin back when the book was released. Trent Dalton's earliest memories are of love. As a five-year-old boy, the two men he adored were his criminal stepfather and a family friend named Arthur Slim Halliday, a convicted murderer and prison escapee known as the Houdini of Bogo Road. His fiercest love was for the woman caught up in that dark and violent world. Now a contented suburban grandmother in her late 60s, she was the first reader of her son's debut novel, Boy Swallows Universe, about a boy on a quest to break his mum out of jail. My mum is my hero, Trent says. I think, again, so much of this show is childlike and magical, but that is Trent's memories coming Mm -hmm. through the pages and now through the screen. Even the red phone, the telephone that I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with because they don't quite get it. The red telephone that rings is a literal memory of Trent from mm. his childhood with his brothers. So, mm. so much of this is Trent Dalton's life. Of course, not all of it. Of course, like the baddies and the villain element and the the narrative element of yeah. so much of this mm-hmm. is added. But the DNA of this story is Trent Dalton's childhood. Yeah, like the heart of it. Yeah. It's so beautiful. When I was talking to Trent about it in our author interview, he said it's about Mm 50-50, like 50-50 based on fact and 50-50 based on like what he hoped. Like he was saying like obviously he didn't actually break in to see his mum on Christmas Day, but he really wanted to. That was Mm -hmm. his dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, even that is kind of based on something, right? Like even though it wasn't real, it's real to him. It's real to like what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so beautiful. What is real, I imagine as well, is the character of Eli Bell's raw emotion and his ability to just feel everything. And you could see that on the screen. And you can also see that in Trent. He's a Mm. very emotional and like in touch with his emotions kind of person. Yeah, I can we talk about casting then? Oh he was my God. incredible. Please. He was so good. I'm always astounded when I see child actors because I'm like, like you're a child. How can you act like this? You're just a, baby. <laughs> just a baby. We are talking about Felix Cameron, yes. by the way, who plays young Eli. And you're right, he's such a talent. He really embodies that caring, emotional, mm. fearless character that Eli Bell is. Spunky as well. Spunky, he had yeah. this spunky element to him. Bring back the word spunky, guys. <laughs> I think in 2024 we bring it back. But he had that in spades. There was something about this boy and about the way Felix Cameron brought him to life. It was just so impressive. I was like, where did they find this kid? Yes, his tiny little face. (laughs) Oh my God. I actually cut together a snippet of one of my favourite moments of Eli Bell in the very first episode. It had me hooked this scene and it made me want to just binge the rest of the six coming episodes in that sitting because he was just so brilliant. I'll play it for you now. What the fuck is it with you and mum? Do your homework, eat your broccoli, tidy that kitchen. I mean, like, mums are an addict and you're the idiot who got her hooked. Right, come on, let's go, mate. So, what? Get up, Eli, what are you doing? Get up. Get up! I can't! You're just going to push me down again! Don't cry, you great big pussy. What are you crying for? I don't know. I just got a whole lot of tears inside me. I can't help it. 
I kept some extra sobs at the end because I was like, for the full effect, you need to hear oh, it all. I just got a whole lot of tears inside it's of me. such a beautiful line. It's so sweet. I knew you were going to play that as soon as you <laughs> Such an Annabelle moment. Yeah, when I was watching some of this show, when I was watching it, I was like, Annabelle will live for that. <laughs> but he's so good. One question I had as the show went on, obviously we had two different actors play the character of Eli Bell. Felix Cameron did play Eli, I feel like from the age of like eight to 13. I'm not 100% mm. sure, but it felt like he was in scenes where he was slightly younger. Actually, sorry, we had three Eli Bells. We had the the tiny one in the car oh, yeah. who was like oh, a four-year-old yeah. boy maybe. Mm. Then we had Felix Cameron and then it was later played by Zach Burgess. One thing I struggled with with Felix playing Eli Bell, and this is really minor, I want to say, he didn't quite look 13 to me. When yeah. they said there was a part in the show when they said he's 13, I'm looking and being like, that kid looks about nine years old. Yeah, I agree. But I think it was pulled off simply because I imagine boys around that age, they're on the precipice Puberty, of a yeah. growth spurt. Mm. But I was a little confused when they aged him suddenly and hardly any of the other characters, I think Shelley was recast, yeah. but hardly any of the other characters were aged at all. And I was a bit like... It was a bit jarring to see older Eli standing next to the same OG Gus. I think yeah. they tried to age Gus. I noticed he started to have like little bits of facial hair and stuff, but it's tricky and I think they could have pushed it a little further. Yeah, yeah especially with all the scenes with Gus and him together. It was very obvious. Mm. But honestly, it didn't really affect my experience. Yeah, maybe in another show I would care about it more. I will say I think Zach Burgess really had his work cut out for him as well to pick up that character of Eli Bell. Felix Cameron mm. just, I would give him a 10 out of 10, smashed it out of the park. Mm. I think Zach was really, really strong. But I think Felix gave it a certain edge that I really loved and craved in that character. I missed Felix. I missed Felix. Yeah. I missed him too. I missed that little spunky boy. <laughs> and it was like so Stop trying to make spunky happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> I missed that little pocket rocket. <laughs> Better. It was so sudden as well. Like mm. at the very beginning of the episode, it's like, who's on the water? And then you see like the thumb is missing. I'm like, no, we're not going to see him again, are we? Yeah. Oh, can I make a point about the thumb? Sorry. A thumb, sorry, a finger. <laughs> the finger. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, my bad too. <laughs> it, I know. What you did it look saying. like <laughs> that? He was just let me show it for the camera. That he was just going like this. <laughs> he was just pulling his thumb. And his that is in a definitely bit. why they use sand because they had to have his finger go somewhere yeah. and it had yeah. to just be plunted. I looked at that and I was like, I had to have this moment with myself to be like, Michelle, you're really fucking loving this show. Don't let a dumb little finger scene ruin the magic. It was funny though. It was funny. It slightly. Pull me out of it, but no, it wasn't a weakness. A fleeting moment where I went, mm, production could have thought about that one for <laughs> Like, given the magical realism and stuff and all the, like, the stars amount of effort. Yeah. yeah, we had all those, like, magical dreams in the car floating through space, the moon. Surely we could have had, like, some kind of coverage, a green screen, something. For they the ran out of budget. <laughs> they they like, finger thing, we'll sort that at the last minute. I want to give out a shout out, by the way, to the casting of Lyle. Travis mm. Fimmel as Lyle was bang on. I think he absolutely shone. The acting, the appearance, the vibe was everything I pictured when I read this book. Lyle, I think, is the trickiest character to portray because the facts make you want to hate him. He's mm. taking his stepson mm. on drug deals. He got the mum hooked on heroin. He has a really tricky and colourful and ugly life in many ways. But he is also lovable. You mm. want to hate him, but you can't help but love Lyle. Like there is something about him that is so charming and charismatic and loving. 
and Travis Fimmel did it for me. I actually think this was the strongest performance of any of the actors mm. in the cast. I think also Simon Baker had a huge oh. job to do. Also, I a didn't really recognise Simon Baker. Yeah. I didn't. I was looking at me like Simon Baker's supposed to be in this, and when he was playing, <laughs> when he was playing the dad, Robert, when he was like deep in his alcoholism. He was unrecognisable. But like yeah. what and then as he got better and as he improved across the show, I, I was looking at him going, Oh, now I can definitely see Simon Baker. Yeah. But what a performance. He was incredible. And the last time I saw him was in The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like light years away. Yeah. What range? <laughs> so, what Simon? Versi- that's on versatility. <laughs> <laughs> it is. He was I'd, so good. I had a huge crush on him. I used to watch The Mentalist growing oh, up. Yeah. And he was so good in that. But no, I agree with you. Lyle and Robert were very complicated characters to play. So I was really happy to see them cast seasoned actors. Not that a newbie couldn't do it, but I think it's really hard to tap into that sort of like, as you say, Mish, lovable yet sort of flop father figure. I've said flop so many times in this episode. Because how hard would it be to love – it is hard to love a deadbeat dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, there are elements that make them amazing, but trying to love a guy who just doesn't always show up for his kids, that is a feat, and they Mm. knocked it out of the park. Yeah, but also has so much love for their kids. Like, it's really, really complicated. Similarly, the character of Frankie had her flaws, (gasps) but she was constantly trying her best because she loved her family so bloody much. And Phoebe Tonkin. Oh, my God, she did so brilliantly in showing us that love and that vulnerability. And I think it'd also be so much pressure to play a real person. Yeah. Not only a real person, but someone that the creator of this whole world, Trent Dalton, holds so close to his heart as well. It's a lot of pressure mm. and she did so brilliantly. Phoebe met up with Trent Dalton's mum as preparation and research for this series. I don't know why she's not a movie star. I mean, Margot Robbie is of a certain level, right, in Hollywood. Mm. But I think Phoebe Tonkin is up there when it comes to Australian talent. I think when she was portraying Frankie deeply in her heroin addiction or Mm. in prison, it was just excellent. I do think they could have aged her again a little more towards the end. Like she had teenage sons and she looked a little too young for She looked exactly Mm. the same throughout the show, which was something I noticed as well. Similarly, Caitlin Spies, the character of Caitlin, the journalist, looked exactly the same throughout, but I really loved her. She was played by Sophie Wilde, who I recently watched in this TV show called Everything Now. It's a UK show and she has a British accent, but I remember looking at her being like, you're Australian because I've... This is a real <laughs> But I remember looking at her going, you're Australian because I've already watched you in a show called Eden. It was an Aussie show that, that aired a couple of years ago. And I was so happy to see her in this Aussie show because sometimes I get sad when Aussie actors make it internationally too soon. And never come back. And never come back because I'm like, oh, man, we lost you. But she's back and I was really happy to see her. I thought she slayed. That's why I'm so glad the likes of Simon Baker signed up for this because yeah. I know they've already done really big projects internationally and they've really hit their stride in America. America for them to sign up to this Australian based, Australian filmed, Australian owned. Well, it's probably because it's so important. Like, so many Aussie actors are in it. Even Deborah Mailman's in it. Mm. And Bricks. I was not expecting Bricks. Bricks. When I saw him, I was like, Bricks? I went straight to like IMDb to be like, surely not. (laughs) Send it to Bricks. But it was. Yes. And Brian Brown, Aussie icon, who we also recently Mm. watched in Anyone But You. I just imagine they would have had to pay their actors a lot. Sorry, Brian Brown, who did he play? Slim Slim. Holiday. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, this budget must have been huge. Yeah. Oh, my. I thought <laughs> that so many times as I watched this with the set design and just mm. the – this looked like a rich production with endless budget. I agree. I would yeah. love to know what the hell 
they paid. I have one casting decision that I wasn't sure about. Oh, huh. no. which one? I think he was good. I just there was one particular thing that stuck out to me. Anthony LaPaglia as Titus Bros. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I just okay. I don't know what it was. I think that's a very very hard character to play. Titus is of course like the ultimate villain. He's a villain hiding in plain sight really. I don't know, the voice for Titus felt forced mm. or felt a little caricature-y for me. Uh, maybe maybe that's hard though because trying to bring these very childlike villains to mm. life is really tricky mm. and something just didn't quite stick with Titus Bros for me. Yeah, he seemed like maybe from another world, like a different... Yeah, it didn't, didn't quite... He almost like reminded me of the KFC man. <gasps> oh, my God, I was going to say that and I thought, like, are you going to sound <laughs> so <laughs> stupid? I was like, every time I saw him, I was like, I'm seeing a bucket of chicken. Like, Am I hungry? <laughs> he was always in all white. Yeah, which oh he was God. in the book as well, but I'm like... <laughs> Maybe that could have been a decision that yeah. was changed when it was on screen. Like it looked a little bit kitschy or something. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. I'm sure other people are also <laughs> going to be thinking that as well. Jingle licking good. It's really hot in this studio. Every time we record in summer, I'm like, I think my brain might be melting inside <laughs> my skull. I think it's time for an ad break. Titus with love is an organ. <laughs> okay, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Okay, guys, it's time for strengths and weaknesses. Woo-hoo. And I've got a strength. Oh, please. <laughs> so Gus being able to tell the future was such a big strength for me because mm. in the book I found all the magical realism kind of hard to follow. Like I couldn't tell what was real and what was not. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was done really well in the miniseries mm. because at the beginning, I also think it like reflects on Eli maturing really well because at the beginning Eli was so naive and hopeful about his brother's powers. Like it's when he was meeting Colonel Sanders. <laughs> he was saying like the most ridiculous story and he really believed it or he felt it felt like he kind of did. But as the series goes on, you can see he like loses that hope and that magic. And he, I think that's like representative of like him becoming cynical of how the world works. Hardened to the world, oh. yeah. And the first time you see Eli shut his brother down like gently, was in episode four, just after their mum was sent to prison. Gus brings up the red telephone saying it was probably him from the future sending them a message. And Eli was very quick to say, please don't go psycho on me. Life's hard enough as it is. And then you see that again later when they're older. And it just, it's quite sad, but it's quite, I think, realistic as well to lose that hope and magic. As you get hardened, like you said, Bish. Mm. That's such a good point. I did not pick up on how it changed. You're very over. clever, Sahani. You are very, very smart. That was it. As you were speaking, I was like, fuck, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> this is such a sidebar, but me and my friends do movie club every month. Oh, that's and so I realised over the course of that and just now <laughs> that I don't pick up on a lot when I watch things. <laughs> that's what these kind of podcasts yeah. are for. <laughs> but I also did love... Gus's drawings as well when there was a particular scene this is very small and not very meaningful but when Robert drops the pie for dinner and says something like oh I wish we had a dog to eat the scraps Mm. and then it cuts to Gus's drawing of like a dog's dinner and it's like whoa so many aha moments in that sense that I I really loved. I didn't notice that. Maybe I'm I'm a genius. (laughs) No I uh, look to me the strength was the whole fucking thing. Yeah. I Mm. just think it was a masterpiece. Like, 
I've loved the way that this was glossy but gritty at the same yes. time. I loved the way that we saw Robert's alcoholism play out, oh, that him drinking so the good. paint water, yeah. him desperate for any kind of alcohol, like him mm. scouring the house, the collapse of his life around him, the way his house looked, the way the houses looked. I'm like, this looks real. This is how it would be. I can imagine walking into Dara in the 1980s and seeing this mm. if, you know, if I was in Robert's home. I think they really walked the line beautifully and they had that warts and all approach at times that I, I just enjoyed. I think it's tricky sometimes to make sets look realistic, but they mm. managed it so seamlessly, like the cockroaches in the kettle. That looked like a kettle with cockroaches in it that had been there for years yeah. without anyone touching it. And I know that's like such tiny little things, but when you're on a podcast like this and you're trying to think about what it is that builds yeah. that, it's the set design people who are probably mm. working on the 1% stuff, like the 1% is to make sure everything looks authentic. And I just think they did it so well. The different shots of like people's feet at times, people's hands, like this was a production that looked like everyone who worked on it was so invested in it being marvellous. Mm. I feel like everyone was so on board. This was not a production where people are like, we're doing this, it's getting out at this date, this is something we're doing because mm. we've been hired to do it. This was something that you could you could just feel everyone's investment in it, from the casting directors to the actors themselves to the script writers, the directors, everyone. You read it in the quotes from the actors. They all cared about this show so, so much. I will say my main worry before watching this show was that I was worried that they would have to squeeze so much into the one concept that maybe certain areas would fall flat. Mm. It's a tough brief to pull off. You've got mm. the magical realism, mm. the weighty family story, the crime, but they managed to do it. Mm. And like it was full to the brim, the show. I felt like every second oh, was jam packed. packed. When I started episode seven and I realized it was an hour and a half, I'm like, well, this this could have been a fucking 10 hour movie. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the first episode in particular was a strength for me. Oh. I think it takes a lot to pull an audience in for the entire, however long, eight hour long ride of the entire mm. series. But I was totally in for the ride after the first episode. I like that they started with the scene of Lyle being dragged out of the yeah. like out of the house into the car, and then they cut to Eli. And I think he had this very boy like childhood moment, and mm. it was the juxtaposition of that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's like a good summary of what to expect. Essentially, mm. yeah, I totally agree. The first episode just pulled me in right away. Mm. I was a mess after that first episode. I was like, is this going to be this sad the whole time? Like I had this ridiculous <laughs> moment where I think it might have been after episode three or. It was one of those moments where Eli and Gus were alone, like very, very lonely. Why do I feel emotional as I'm talking about it? I don't know. I had this moment where like I, I hugged my husband and I'm like, we're so lucky. Yeah. And like shows like this where you know it's based on people's real lived experience. I'm like, we are so lucky that we never felt that alone as children. Yeah. And also I'm so impressed that someone like Trent Dalton did feel this alone and ended up where he is because yeah. it's so the cycle so easily could have repeated itself and I think shows like this give you such a sense of empathy for the Frankies of the world who yeah. of course she ended up there and of course that's not her fault mm -hmm. like the way that baddies in this show and in the book are portrayed is such a heart like a, it's almost heartwarming because you see that the people who look like the baddies whether they are facing addiction, whether they have spent time in prison, whatever it is. The people who look like the baddies aren't always the baddies. Mm -hmm. And once you get to know the heart of a person, you can see all of their great qualities. Like Lyle's a good example of that. And I just think 
Trent and the people behind this show have pulled that fact of life off so yeah. well. Yeah. Back to the top of what you were saying about that scene with Eli and Gus, I would say that their relationship was a huge strength of mine as well, watching them throughout the series stay strong in each other's lives. And similarly, when I was watching that, I kind of thought about my sister. And even though I've never been through anything like this, you think about the people in your life and mm. how like, there are elements that I see of my own relationship with my sister, mm. for example, in, in that. And it was just really beautiful to be able to see tiny, tiny, tiny bits of your own life in a show like this that is so different from my life. Yeah, yeah the whole time I was watching the series, I was just thinking about like Trent writing it so much of this is so real mm. and like it's not just real for him but it's real for all the people that he's like grown up with as mm. well and yeah it's just really moving mm. yeah do we think darrow is going to become like a tourist hotspot <laughs> <laughs> people are going to come Maybe. to australia and be like i'm going to darrow <laughs> i want to go to darrow should we go to darrow yeah. <laughs> shameless book club takes darrow a hundred percent what other strengths and weaknesses did we have from the show specifically I have no weaknesses apart from the aging. I had that down too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, I actually think this show is perfect. <laughs> yeah, One more too. strength from me, if I'm allowed. Of course. of course. The Trent Dalton cameo. What? What? Wait, no, Guys, I missed it. Wait, am I the dumb? Trent Dalton cameo. No, we I'm both interviewed him. <laughs> <laughs> you both met him. <laughs> um, Trent, when you're listening to this, reach out let me know if I'm an idiot and about to embarrass myself in front of tens of thousands of people. I literally would be In episode it. seven, when Eli has a dream, he's just been stabbed, he has a dream, and it's of, I think it's of Titus Bros walking through a hospital ward. He's mm. in the hospital. He's having this dream. It's almost like a coma vision. And mm. a Trent Dalton, dressed in a hospital gown, walks out with his, should I, you know what? We're going to take a brief moment in the podcast. <laughs> this is going to be some nice little editing for everyone listening. You're about to miss out on the next five minutes. Yeah, we can react I'm to it. I'm going to find this. I'm going to play it for you. And if we're wrong, we'll all find out. <laughs> we'll find out together. We'll find out together. Yeah, that's that's him. That's him. That's Trent Dalton. Trent. Okay, but you can see how we missed that. <laughs> I don't know who's honey. His face is right there. He's literally one of two people in the screen. Yeah, There's nothing the, else to look at. The other person was Colonel Sanders. <laughs> he is just very captivating. He is. I saw that and I was like, how perfect that we had little Eli, like tiny four-year-old Eli, teenage Eli at like 13, almost adult Eli becoming a journalist. And then we had finally Trent Dalton has grown Eli in the dream. I just thought little details like that. Again, perfect. I watched it and I was like, oh, perfect. I don't know who did that, who decided to do it this way, but that is masterful. So good. We don't have any more weaknesses? No, no the ageing thing definitely stood oh, out okay. for me. I think the transition from teenage Eli to grown Eli could have been a little better. There was something a little clunky about it yeah. somehow. But I don't know how they would have overcome that. It honestly. feels really, really hard. Yeah. I think maybe recasting Gus as an older Gus would have been... No, but I love Gus. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I think that's the thing. I, I, as I say that, I'm like, but he was really good. I actually don't know. I don't know what I would have done. It was just slightly jarring. He was really good, but he had quite a youthful face, quite a mm. youthful boyish mm. face. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> 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 Who am I talking to? Um, <laughs> Who am I talking to? Okay, just keep that in mind. <laughs> Everyone keep moving on. Everyone keep moving on. Can I talk about a standout scene? That yeah, I'd yeah, love to. Yeah, want to talk about. 
There is a flashback to Frankie withdrawing, and I actually have a snippet that I cut up. It oh. is quite confronting, I will say, but I think it's important to listen to. So yeah, I'll play this that is one now. of my favorite. This is one of my favorite scenes from the series. Just ran around from Ranger, okay, boys? No, it's difficult. But we just got to wait around, okay? Enjoy it, enjoy it, he loves it. It's so hard to listen to and watch. I will say, though, by the end of that scene, once Eli started playing Ruby Tuesday, the song for Frankie, I was just so consumed by so many emotions, but just mainly by the heart of this family and how... Their love for each other fueled them all to try and be the best version of themselves throughout this entire series. Mm. It was just so, so touching. Mm. And I just can't stop thinking about it. Mm. Did I, you have any favourite scenes? I literally have chills. From yeah, that. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I watched that, the um, the delivery of that scene, like from every actor involved, but most particularly Phoebe Tonkin, yeah. that mm. was some of the best acting out of any Australian actor I've seen. Mm. One of my favourite standout scenes was in episode four, Boy Loses Dad, when the police show up at the door and the boys and Robert hurry to clean the house. Like you've mentioned quite a bit, Mish, about like the detail in the set design there. But the whole scene just was so well done. I thought like the way it shifted from being quite comedic to devastating was very like very confronting but very important this show was funny yeah it was was. funny it had humor at the points it needed to yeah it was like light and I quite liked that because there was a part where they were trying to like kill time (laughs) to clean up and they talked about Aristotle and Robert just goes yeah what a lovely old Greek fellow (laughs) and I was like that's so funny (laughs) it's so cute and then the scene slowly shifts and obviously like there's the revelation of how or why the boys kept having that reoccurring dream and reoccurring paintings of the car Mm. scene and I just thought the setup for that was so so good and then like the empathy they showed towards Robert in that scene I thought was so compassionate Mm. I don't know if movies or literature do that that often there is a lot of criticism on quote unquote unfit parents Mm -hmm. but that compassionate approach was so well executed Mm. especially when Eli and Gus came and hugged their dad. Like, it shows the complexities of these topics. The acting when they were reacting to hearing what their dad yeah. was saying and they were beneath the house. Was I so was cute. I cried a lot watching that. It was really, really special, again, the way they brought that to life. Another special moment for me was when it was only a small one and I know her presence in the, in the show was minimal, but the doctor in the hospital and the way she dealt with Eli. Yeah. And the gentle probing she gave him and the kind of like the tenderness she gave him when his finger was cut off. I don't know, there was something about that that made me cry too. That I don't know what it was about that doctor, but the way she presented a level of like firm but soft at the same time yeah. care mm. yeah. to a boy who really needed it. It was the unspoken like, I'll be here. No matter what you say right now, I'll be here to help mm. you. I think that was really special and needed in that moment. 
I also just loved every time Frankie was like group hug. Yeah. yeah. That was a really beautiful recurring scene that I really enjoyed and it said a lot about the character of Frankie. Mm. And also this is a pivot. I'm just talking about my other scene that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> the the Atari scene when the whole family goes to that oh, yeah. rich white woman's house oh, to buy yeah. and then they're like bartering with yeah. it. He's like, oh, $50 <laughs> yeah. and he's like trying to find coins and stuff. So just social good. commentary like that was done really well as well. Yeah, it was really good. I also really liked, this is a much more darker scene than that, but when Teddy goes batshit crazy I thought because I couldn't remember if Frankie stays with him and I was so scared that she would and I was like literally on the edge of my seat and especially when the dogs came and like started eating the dinner off the table I was the dogs eating the dinner off the table it was so uncomfortable to watch and then Frankie goes around and like starts smashing the plates and I was like oh my god yes yeah (laughs) amazing to watch the smashing of the plates was again perfectly done. Yeah, I I actually had to fast forward through part of that scene though because I found it so. Yeah, it was so. I was, I was really nervous, and I I knew that Frankie would end up okay. I'd fucking read the book, and I knew she ended up okay. Mm. But to be in that scene and that scenario with that level of like noise, I think they did noise really well yeah. as well. The like yeah. barking of the dogs, the chaos was just yeah. Just generally, the series was more visually gruesome and violent mm. than I was anticipating. Yeah, just a note. <laughs> Just something to keep in mind. No, I was keeping in mind and stay spunky. I um, yeah, I, I agree. I was going to ask you guys before we get to ratings. I was curious, what did you think of the last episode and how that all played out? Kind of going to the Queenslander of the year. I think I'm at a Queensland champion, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That ceremony and and the chaos that unfolded afterwards with the stabbings and the the gruesomeness of it all. Yeah, it felt like you know when you said it was a different director. It felt that way. Yeah. I didn't know that before this episode. Mm. So I was quite like on the edge of my seat and being like, I feel like I'm watching a suspense crime thriller right now. Which is so interesting because yeah. the director's a documentarian. Yeah. Mm. So I would have expected this was like a, a movie thriller director because I think mm. it was, car- it felt like a movie the last episode. Yeah, I quite it loved did. it. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I loved that it was like all peaking and like it was reaching an apex and then it was like bam and then calm it just felt like the perfect way to end such an eventful series agree Mm. completely agree i couldn't obviously i dnf the book so i didn't know the ending (laughs) ending and so like the last hour and a half oh you were being completely shocked well like yeah the end of like the second last episode was like nice and happy and everyone was calm and we'd made like really good progress (laughs) i'm like everybody stay still (laughs) (laughs) you're like keep up the good work everybody (laughs) yeah i was like what are they gonna feel like this hour and half with and yeah I flew through it it was so easy well I wasn't sure if Robert would survive or not I couldn't remember Mm. that and then so when he got his throat slit I was like no and actually devastated but apart from that I was very much happy with the ending just a bit of a clip to the jugular yeah no big deal (laughs) (laughs) ratings time I think yes I want to go first so I have absolutely no weaknesses I know the age thing was a thing but I didn't even notice it (laughs) so Honey wears glasses she couldn't see a thing (laughs) I'm not going to pretend that I like cared about that, yeah. to be honest. So it's an easy five stars for me. Love it. Which like considering that I didn't finish the book is in like even more amazing. What a yeah. feat. And it makes me want to go back and like read it. Please do. Oh, I will be doing that as well. I think this show absolutely did the book justice. I'm also rating it a five. Even though, yes, the age thing, but I was just picking at straws. I was just pulling at straws, picking it. Ah. I was just doing something with straws. <laughs> 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 there was straws involved. Keep in mind. Uh, five. 
for me, I actually think this is the best piece of Australia. I said this on my Instagram stories, actually, before we sat down to record this. Best piece of Australian television mm. I have watched. I was proud to be Australian and watch this, knowing mm. that so many Australians worked upon it mm. from such different walks of life as well. I just... I think they did such a good job. I'm so impressed. I hope people watch this and I hope they enjoy it as much as we did because I think it's it's just really beautiful. <gasps> Enough feelings. Guys, that was the first episode of The Adaptation. How do we feel? Oh I my bloody God. loved it. Everyone go watch it. Everyone go watch it. Thank you for listening to us. If you're still around, it means that you must have enjoyed this episode and we're so, so glad. Annabelle, next month, what's the plan? Next month, guys, we are throwing it to you. So keep an eye out on our socials. We'll give you some options to pick. There's always some like brilliant adaptations mm. flying around. So there'll definitely be some fun choices up for you guys to pick. Yeah, I think we're going to crowdsource some options and then we'll do a short list and you guys can can pick and then whatever you pick Sahani we're gonna review yeah I'm so excited yay so we're at the shameless book club on Instagram so keep an eye out next few days guys we don't have like a firm date for you yet keep an eye on our socials and we'll put it up soon Woo-hoo! bye bye This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.